We're going to be in Luke 19. I love on that, that song, Hail, you know, I'll crown him with many crowns. It says, his wounds yet visible in paradise. You know, it's going to be very interesting because Revelation tells us that he's the lamb slain, you know, slain. He will have wounds. And I don't know, I'm glad God is going to wipe away the tears from my eyes because every time you'll look at him, you'll know I'm here because of those wounds. And we have to have those wounds uh, taken, taken away. All right, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was, a little, he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus was come to that place, he looked up and saw him, and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he is gone to be the guest of, with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to, to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man, by false accusations I will restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come into your house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here we have the story. This is known by most people, the story of Zacchaeus. If you've ever gone to Sunday school, you probably have sung you know, the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, but I just wanted to bring this out. You know, Jesus has left Galilee. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's going by the route, obviously, of the Jordan River because he's going to go through Jericho. So he's, this particular trip, he did not go through Samaria. He had gone through Samaria on several times. But he's going through here. He goes through Jericho. And as he gets there, you know, the people are all gathered up in a big crowd. They want to see Jesus. Why? Because he's been healing people. He's, the word of Jesus is getting out. Uh, the idea that he's the Messiah is, is becoming big. They're looking for their rescue from Rome. They're looking for the establishment of the kingdom of Israel to be ruling the, the, the entire world. Uh, just before this uh, section, when Jesus was traveling here, he blessed the children. Um, he had talked with the rich young ruler. He had been able to heal blind Bartimaeus. So his, his reputation is going out before him. So he gets to Jer Jericho, and there are crowds everywhere. And then we have poor Zacchaeus. Now, we don't know how big Zacchaeus was, but it says that he was of little stature. All right? Which means that he couldn't see over the crowd. <laughs> All right? Um, was, you know, how short he was, I don't know, but he was probably a good six or seven inches shorter than anybody else. Uh, I've never really had much trouble because I've always been one of the taller people around. You know, I can always, always see over the crowds, but, you know, I can picture, you know, when children are around, they can't see over crowds, you know, and all these things. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Now, we're not really told why he wanted to see Jesus so badly, other than when we get to what he does, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But he wanted to really see Jesus, so much so that he's going to do two things 
that adult men, especially back then, did not do. First, he runs ahead of the crowd to get ahead of the crowd. Men in that day did not run unless they were in athletic events or going into battle. So he's outside of the normal protocols. And then instead of just trying to find a seat at the very edge of the road and being the first in there, he decides, I'm going to climb a tree. Now, I'm not sure how fast he got up that tree, but he got up there fast enough to see Jesus. So these are two things that men don't usually do. They don't usually run around the crowd. And they don't usually go around climbing trees. Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. And he's going, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking a chance. I got ahead of this crowd and I don't want them to sweep past me again and push me to the back of the crowd because he was a publican. Now, if you, you know, we don't really understand that word publican, but that means he was a tax collector. And he wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So the tax collectors around him gave him their portions to go to Rome. So he did not be, he was not the actual one. You know, for us, it would be he was the IRS agent. <laughs> All right. Uh, they were just as hated back then as they are now and even more so. Because in their days, Rome would hire local people to be the tax collectors. And the way they would be getting their money is Rome would say, this is how much taxes you are to collect. And then they would go around and collect as much tax as they could. Not what they had to collect, but what they could collect. And anything above what Rome asked for, they kept. They were not very nice, respected people because if you did not give them what they asked for, they would call the Roman soldiers who would then come and take it. So your, your house was not secure, so you did not, you know, we, we see these shows and every time where the people are extorting money from people and, and they will come and take it or destroy things. Well, that is what happened in those days. And Zacchaeus is the chief of all these guys for Jericho. So this is who he is. He's not a well-liked person, so they're not going to let him stay toward the front of the crowd. They would rather that he, would, they would rather that he just die anyway. They, they, they couldn't do anything about him because if they did, Rome would be after them for killing one of their workers. So they couldn't do anything about him, but he was a hated man. He would never have been invited to your party. All right. Now, he may have had parties with other publicans and with Rome, Roman, Roman people, but he would, you would never have invited you to, uh, uh, him to your parties, and you would never have accepted an invitation to one of his parties. Uh, even though it would have been a lavish affair, for he was rich, you would not have wanted to have been associated with him. And this is the man that we're looking in on this story. Small, small of stature, very powerful, very rich, and he's wanting to see Jesus. So much so that he climbs a tree to see him. Now, you gotta, I, I kind of picture this. Jesus is walking along. The crowd is following along with him. And all of a sudden, they come to this sycamore tree. And all the people are probably looking at, you know, what's that weird guy up in the tree for? You know, Zacchaeus, what are you up there for? But Jesus looks up in the tree and speaks to him. Zacchaeus, come down for I'm going to your house. Two very important facts with this statement. First off, Jesus knew his name. Knew that this, that this man was Zacchaeus. Now, I'm sure that Jesus, you know, as a human man, did not know every single person. But as God, he knew everything 
And he's going to say that the, the shepherd has found him. You know, he came to seek and to save those that were his. He knows his sheep by name. Have you ever had God talk to you in a very personal way? Maybe not used your name necessarily, but talked to you? I've had many times where I may not have heard words in my you know, words, but I know that God has talked to me and said, this is what you're going to do. There has been one time in my life where I had what I really thought were words you know, in my, in my brain. I don't think they hit my ears, but it was indefinitely in my brain. And it was when I finally surrendered to God on a particular issue. And he said, about time because it took a long time. <laughs> uh, but he comes by, he sees a man up into a tree. He knows his name. Now, put yourself in Zacchaeus' place for a moment. You're up in this tree. Your only hope was to see Jesus. And he talks to you by name. Yeah. That would have been like him coming down this hall and going, Hi, Lynn. Hi, Mark. You know, hi, hi, Martha. You know, they're going, who, who is this that knows my name? Knows my name as he comes in. And Zacchaeus' greatest hope was just to see Jesus. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was not respected. He knew that he did not deserve to talk to this man. How important is that for us to understand? There is nobody that deserves to talk to Jesus. But because of his sacrifice on the cross, we get the privilege of talking to Jesus. And not Jesus only, but the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because of what he did on the cross, we have absolute access to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who know our names each one of us individually and loves us individually and because of who he is with his infinite abilities and his infinite uh, place can deal with each one of us individually at the same time which is mind-blowing in and of itself while Jesus was in the flesh he could only deal with one at a time one person at a time but as a spirit he can deal with everybody at the same time and he tucks up and he says Zacchaeus this had to be mind-blowing to Zacchaeus. He knows my name, and he's actually taking time to talk to me. Now, you can almost think that his first thought was, is he going to be critical of me because I'm a tax collector and I'm so sinful? You know, but what does he say? Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. I'm going to abide with you. Now, this is really going to blow his mind, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, he... The, the worst of the worst in all of Jericho, probably, has Jesus coming to his house. One other thing I want to note, and it's just something I read this week about. Jesus' statement wasn't, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Zacchaeus, I, you know, I want you to hold a feast for me. He goes, Zacchaeus, I am going to abide at your house. He was speaking as a king as a person in charge at that point. Zacchaeus, by royal decree, we're going to your house. Can you imagine what that would have been like? You know, there was no request, Zacchaeus, I'd really like to come to your house. You know, are you going to say yes or no? It's going, we're going. We're going to your, your home. This is the power of Jesus even in before he went to the 
triumphant entry, he was at this point saying, I am the Messiah, I am the ruler, and here's my authority that I'm just going to tell this man that we're going to his house. Now, this would be the same thing, and we don't really have a king in our day, but, you know, if we had a king come by and, you know, and you were in their country, everything belongs to the king. So they say, I want to go to your house. You do not say, no, you're not going to my house. Because they're going, okay, well, it really isn't your house. It's my house that you're living in. So guess who's not living in that house anymore? This is the type of thing that Jesus was saying. He's going, Zacchaeus, I'm the king. I'm the ruler. I'm going to your house. And it was that kind of authority that he's using. And Zacchaeus is kind of going, this is better than I ever thought. I just wanted to see him. He knows my name. And he's going to my house. He's going to come to my house for dinner. Now, I don't know what it would be like, but, you know, it's been, been shown on very many things that, you know, Jesus was love and truth incarnate. When his presence was there, how much love and kindness flowed from him. He loved the, the children. He loved the, the weak. He loved the poor. And they flocked to him. And here's Zacchaeus, chief publican, the chief, the chief tax collector, not considered a very nice guy, and Jesus says, we're going to your house. Now, the reaction of the people was, oh, yeah, well, great, Jesus, we're, you know, we're really happy that you're going to his house. No, it's not that at all. They were murmuring and complaining. Doesn't he know he's supposed to be the Messiah? He's supposed to be a prophet? Doesn't he know who he's talking to? Why would he go to this man's home? Because all those nice, righteous people would never go to Zacchaeus' home. So this means that anybody Zacchaeus is inviting is going to be other publicans, other uh, officials that nobody else wants to deal with. And they're all looking at Jesus like, who do you think you are and who do you, don't you understand who he is? And they complained about what was going on. And this happened in Jesus' presence constantly because he went and he ministered to those that were considered the low. Now the problem with this is those who were considering them the low were sinners just as bad. They just didn't realize it. They're going, I keep all God's laws. We obey his rules. We go offer our sacrifices. We're pretty good people. God should be happy that we're serving him. And God ignored them. Why? Because they were based on their own self-righteousness. They weren't willing to humble themselves and follow him in truth and in spirit. And Jesus reached out to those that were poor, the ones that were rejected, and said, I want you. Why? Because everyone that he talked to knew that they were a sinner. They were the ones who were being always reminded by the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, you guys were a bunch of sinners. You guys don't follow God's laws. You're not, you're not offering, you're not doing, you're not following all the 613 rules and, and keeping them perfectly, so therefore you don't deserve to have anything to do with God and he's not going to have anything to do with you. you know, but you've got to look at us because we're trying the best we can to keep our 613 rules and we do it, we do it every day and when we don't do it, we offer our sacrifices and we're, we're following every last law. They weren't because <laughs> nobody can keep the law completely. You know, we always think of the ten, as Gentiles, we think of the Ten Commandments, but the Jews tell us there's 613 commandments. 
Uh, I hate to try to figure out what all of them are. I'll take their word that there's 613 of them. I, I know there's a lot. I've studied the Old Testament. I know there's a lot. You know, I'd, I would hate to try to keep track of 613 rules, you know, which in our days would be considered light because how many laws do we have in America? Probably thousands, and most of them we don't even know. You know if you get, if you get uh, police stopped you, you can probably have five or six laws against you without even knowing what's going on. So it happened in their day. These people that did not live according to the way that the scribes and Pharisees thought they were supposed to live. And then they added, besides the 613 rules, they added rules around those rules so that you didn't break God's rules. And then if you broke their rules, they made you, made you guilty. So you didn't break God's rules, but because you broke the rules to make sure you didn't break God's rules, they would say that you were guilty of breaking God's rule. How convoluted does it get? You know, but this happens in some churches. And I hope we never get that around here where there's rules that you feel you have to obey. You know, uh, I remember when I was younger, there were churches where uh, guys would have to wear a suit with tie and everything to go to church, have short hair. Women don't dare to come in with anything less than a fancy dress and a hat and all that and be, be, be decked out. And don't put your, don't put your uh, uh, yeah, makeup on because that was trying to be you know, drawing people's attention to you rather than God, and you know, all kinds of rules that they had. You know, couldn't play cards, couldn't go, couldn't watch TV, couldn't go to the movies, whatever it might be. There were all these little rules that says if you just did all these things, you were a good person and God loved you. Well, the problem is I can't find most of those rules in my Bible, if any of them. You know, we need to be very careful that what we're looking at is something that is God's grace and His mercy. God looked at Zacchaeus and said, here is somebody who wants to see me. Here is somebody who wants my presence. And when he gets to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is fully aware of all that is going on, all the things that are being said. And he tells Jesus, he says, I am going to give away half of all of my money. And he goes, if I've cheated anybody, and it should be since I've cheated anybody... <laughs> Uh, I will give back four times what I took. And people go, well, why would he say four times? Well, because in the book of Exodus chapter 21, uh, 22, verse 1, it tells you that if you cheat somebody or steal somebody, you give them back four times, you give them back what you give, and you give them four times what? So if you took a sheep, you would give them back one sheep and four more. So they would get five sheep. Now, I don't know how that would work for the poor person who stole the sheep because he didn't have anything because he would then have to serve the person for the long enough to pay back five, four sheep. But this was the, the law of God, that if you took something or you killed something that, that was not, you know, an animal that was not yours, you restored that one and you increased it by, by four. And so Zacchaeus, being an Israelite, we're going to find out that Jesus calls him an Israelite, knows the law, and he says, I'm going to give back I'm going to give half of, my, half of what I own. And remember, it said he was a rich man and probably had riches enough to buy the, the right to be the tax collector in the first place. And he says, if I've cheated people, I'm going to pay back, as God says, four times. Jesus answered unto him and said, this day salvation has come into this house. Now, I want to just look at that. Salvation did not come into this house because Zacchaeus gave all this money away. All right. 
Zacchaeus's attitude was changed by God to, and his expression of that change was, I'm going to give, my, give away my possessions and, and, and restore to the people that I've cheated. This is very important for us. Our good works are not what gets us saved, but our good works should be an expression that we are saved. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that just because I do a lot of good stuff or you do a lot of good stuff does not mean you get to go to heaven. All right? If that was how we got saved, then Jesus wasted his time coming to this world and dying on the cross. He died on the cross because we could not pay the debt we owed him. We could not pay the sin debt. So God had to become a man, go to the cross, and pay that debt because we could not pay it in any way, shape, or form. So he had to do it. So Zacchaeus is not having his salvation come because he gives his money away or because he's going to restore what was taken. He's getting it because he sought Jesus. His heart was already moving toward Jesus long before he got to talk to him and say, this is how I'm going to show it. So what does that mean for us? You know, people will go, well, you people, you Christians, you just believe you can do whatever you want because you're going to heaven because of what Jesus did. And the answer is yes, that would be true on one side. I am going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me and my accepting his sacrifice. But once he comes in to live inside of me, I should want to do what I'm supposed to do. Now, am I going to do it perfectly? No. But my desire now is to love other people, to be kind to other people, to help other people, to minister to other people, to share that good news with other people. Not so that I go to heaven, but because I am already going to heaven, now my expression goes out to help others. And there's great reward in doing that, but heaven is not one of those rewards. And this bothers a lot of people when they're going, well, you know, you, you people, especially you Baptists who believe you can't lose your salvation. You know, you can just go out and do whatever you want. And as I've said so many times, if you can go out and sin without having any condemnation or conviction from the, from the Holy Spirit, you better look and say, am I saved in the first place? Because I'll tell you, one of you know, I cannot do wrong and, not, and get away with it with God. I'm not going to say I can't do wrong. I can do wrong a lot, but I cannot get away with doing wrong because the Holy Spirit comes in and says, what were you doing? Why were you doing that? How come you're doing that? Because it's against his nature and he will step in and say, you cannot do this. Zacchaeus is not saved because of his good works, but his good works are an expression of what's happened inside of him. Just as when we talk about baptism, baptism is not what gets us saved, but it is an expression of what has already happened inside us. God has come inside us. He has cleansed us. We get baptized to show the world that we are, that we are changed inside. Zacchaeus's answer is, I'm, I'm changed. God has come to be with me, and I'm going to express this changed life by, by doing this. And Jesus said to him was, this day is salvation come into this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. This is how we know that he is a Israelite. He's a child of Abraham. And it says, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
He says, I have come and I have found a lost one. I have called him by name because Jesus said, the sheep, my sheep know my voice and, and I know their names. God knows for each one of us, he knows our name. What's even more special when you get into the book of Revelation, when we get our glorified body, God's going to give us a new, unique name that is ours between him and us. And I'm sure it will show something to do with our service and our, and our life with him, but uh, he's going to give us a unique name that is his with us. And you know, it's not an uncommon thing for a unique name. How many people that are married have unique names for each other? You know, sometimes it's just honey or sweetie. Sometimes it gets to be more, <laughs> more personal. But usually it's a name that would be just between them. Jesus will have that kind of relationship with us. He knows our current name, and he also knows what he's going to name us when we get our glorified body. And that'll be our name for him and us. Just the two. And this is him telling Zacchaeus, salvation has come into your house. Now he is salvation, and he says, I have come into your house, and you have responded to that salvation. And this is very important for us. Do we know Jesus? You know, the only way to heaven is by knowing Jesus and his sacrifice. And know him in a very personal way. Now, it isn't just, I believe Jesus existed. It isn't, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I even believe that he rose from the dead. Those are all three very important points. But do I truly believe it and appropriate it and make my my belief and understanding. To truly believe means I am persuaded of the truth of these things and that it is for me. There are many people that I have met that will tell me that they are a Christian. And I'm going, okay, you know, and I've gotten to the place where I'm, my first thing is, what does that mean to be a Christian? And most of the time what I'm going to hear is, I believe in Jesus. I'm going, that's wonderful. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And that's about as far as most people can go. And then I'll tell them, well, you're doing really wonderful. James says that you're doing wonderful too, the, the devil's belief. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Did he die on the cross for you personally? And have you appropriated that death on the cross and asked him to, for his forgiveness? Because this is the important point, because I've met people who go, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Well, I can tell you, I know God is living inside me. I have no problem that I am saved. And after just a mere 52 years of walking with him, I'm absolutely even more sure that he is still walking with me. You know, and I am sure that I'm not going to walk away because he's going to grab me with the crook of his stick and pull me right back. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, you can just, you know, you chose Jesus. You can walk away from him. Well, technically you didn't. You were predestinated and elected to serve him. And you, don't, you didn't make that choice completely on your own. And you're not going to be able to walk away from him. If you walk away from him completely, then you were never his in the first place. And that's the thing we need to look at. If you can walk away from him and think that you've walked away from him and have no conviction and all that. And I'm not talking to maybe backsliding and having a year or two away from God. I'm talking about totally being away from God. I had a backsliding for about two years one time when I was a workaholic and got so busy at work I forgot about God. But you know what? I never totally forgot about God. It was always in the back of my mind that I was supposed to be reading my Bible and praying and going to church and spending time with his people. I was rejecting it because I was too busy. That was my excuse. You know, I was supporting my family that I never saw. 
you know, uh, had all my reasons for not doing what it was, but God was still sticking in the back of my mind and saying, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You know, it got a little harder and harder. But, you know, if you can walk away from God and not have any qualms about doing so, you most likely weren't his child in the first place. And, you know, it's, well, I'm not a judge. You have to go before God and say, this is where I'm at. Zacchaeus comes to him and says, my response is that I'm going to give. I'm going to be the best citizen that this, this town has ever seen at this point because I am now following you. And I can't imagine what the town folk thought when he starts giving away his money. You know, uh, giving to all the poor, dumping bags of gold into, into each of the you know, beggars' you know, pans or whatever, how, however he distributed it. Going back and said, well, I cheated you out of five denarii. Here's, here's 25 denarii in return. You know, and people are going to see that he has totally changed. And it's not the giving that changed him. So for us, where are we with God? Do we have the heart, number one, to go running ahead and finding him and being where he is going to be? Or are we waiting for him to find us? Or do we have a desire like Zacchaeus to find him? Now, Zacchaeus didn't have much to go. He knew where he was going. It was easy. But you know, God is looking for us. And if you ever played hide, remember playing hide and seek when you were young and you tried to move your hiding place when somebody was coming close to you so you could get someplace they'd already searched? A lot of people try that with God. God was over there. I'm going to go over there. He's looking over here. I'm going to go over there. You know, Zacchaeus was not playing that game. He's saying, I am going to go where God is. I am going to find him. For us, are we doing that same thing? Are we actively seeking where God is? And finding him and then taking that and going out and doing what he asks us to do whatever that might be for Zacchaeus it came across as I'm gonna help others with my wealth may not be as smart as these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees about the Bible but I'm gonna go do what I know I can do I'm gonna help the poor what has God called you to do this is very important because I truly believe that every single Christian has something that God is calling them to do. What it is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can tell you there are plenty of things that to be done. Are you, a, are you somebody who evangelizes and witnesses? Are you a teacher? Are you a worker? You know, there are plenty of people who are just servants and workers. And you know what? The church needs those. They need the people to clean the floors and, the, and tend, the, tend, the, tend the grounds and to fix things up and do the stuff that, that others may not be able to do. We need teachers. We need people that are prayer warriors. Now, one thing I want to say about a prayer warrior, if you're not getting your answers, prayer, answers to your prayers answered, you're not a prayer warrior necessarily. Prayer warriors get their answer, prayers answered. Now, I pray a lot. I'm not a prayer warrior. <laughs> now, I get some prayers answered. Several prayers answered, but I'm not a strong person. Now, there was a time that I, I knew a prayer warrior, and I was, every time they prayed, their, their prayers got answered. It was amazing. They had enough faith, enough desire, that when they prayed for something, it got answered. I think that's wonderful. We need people like that. We need to pray. We need to evangelize. And each of these things are stuff that we all are to do as Christians. We are all to pray. We are all to study. We are all to evangelize. We are all to help others as best we can. But there are certain people that are more gifted and more skilled in certain areas. 
and start looking for God and saying, God, where is my area of service? Where is it? Maybe you're somebody who is just a person that affirms people and, make, and, and people like when you're nearby because they feel good when, you, when, you've, when you've talked to them. You know, there's all kinds of things that are out there. Where are you gifted at? How can you use it for the kingdom? Because this is what's important. I don't know what everybody's gift is. I really wouldn't want to know what everybody's gifts are. Because then everybody would be doing it just because I was asking them, and I don't want that to be the case. I have enough trouble running my own life. I don't want to be running everybody else's life. So we want to be able to understand and say, what is your gift? What is it that God has called you to do? What could happen in this church if everybody did what God has called them to do? I would love to see it. I haven't seen a church yet where everybody in the church was doing what God called them to do. Churches have a problem like every other organization. Only about 10% of the people do, it, do the work. Do the work. And that means 10% of the people are doing at least what they're called to do and probably then other things because they're trying to do things that other people are supposed to be doing. But if every single person did what God called them to do, what would happen in a church? I don't know. Because it's never happened that, I, that I'm aware of. Moody said, God, it is yet to be seen what would happen for the man that is fully committed to God. What was he saying? That even the people that are very strongly committed to God aren't fully committed to God. Why? Because we're flesh and blood. We, we have to sleep. We have to eat. We have, to, we have other, other responsibilities that get in the way. And we are sinners. I kind of wish I could get rid of the sin. Then I could be fully committed to God and not have any distractions. And it's not happening. The closer I get to God, the more sin I see in my life. Because God shines a brighter light in me. So we need to understand what's going on. Zacchaeus comes to Christ. The challenge for us is are we, number one, going to come to Christ? And then number two, what are we going to do once he's there? How are we going to serve him? How are we going to move forward with him? And be able to serve him in a mighty way, whatever that way is. Some people are greatly gifted and they have great commitment to God and great, but you know what? Be careful of that. When you see, some people see these people that do great things for God and they may still only be using 10% of their gifts. But they're doing a lot of stuff because of how gifted they are. And you look at somebody else and go, I don't see them doing anything, but they're living up 100% of what, they're, what they were given. They're going to be more rewarded than the person who didn't use all their gifts. Be careful of judging yourself against others because others are not your judge. God is going to look at you and say, how did you do? How did you do with the gifts that I gave you? If he gives you 10 talents, use 10 talents. If he gives you one talent, use that one talent. Gives you half a talent, use that half a talent. Use what he has given you completely because God is looking at faithfulness, not the quantity of work that you accomplish. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, if there's anybody listening here or online that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will commit their life to you and they will admit that they're a sinner, that they cannot pay their debt and they need you as their Lord and Savior and that they will turn and let you fill their life. Lord, for the rest of us that know you, we ask that you help us to learn to use our talents fully. Guide us, lead us, help us learn to even pray, God, show me what you would have me to do and step out and try to do some things. And we thank you for all you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.
Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.